A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode in a look back at Joss Whedon's iconic shows. I'm MC, and I'm here with... I'm Andy. I'm David. I'm Jan. And I'm Logan. So uh, today we're reviewing uh, episode four of season two, Inca Mummy Girl. It originally aired October 6th, 1997. It was written by Matt Keane and Joe Reichenmeyer and directed by Ellen S. Pressman. Um, the one thing that I uh, found interesting when looking at who directed and wrote this, this is, they have both for writing and directing, they have done previous episodes in the Buffyverse, but uh, at the same time, this is the last time either of them will appear. Mm-hmm. Um, Ellen, Ellen I noticed Pressman. that Ellen Pressman did a lot of other TV stuff, yeah. not genre stuff. So Yeah, but uh, she had previously done The Puppet Show. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, Matt Keane and Joe Reichenmeyer did The Pack, which I think oh, explains uh, a lot of the stuff that yeah. came up in this episode, yeah. and they, which we will keep getting all, to. The writers were, were story editors for three episodes in the first season as well. Was one of them teacher's pet? Because. Um, possibly. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Sensing a trend. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, and just a bit of trivia that I noticed also. Um, the woman, uh, Ari Sally, I believe. Yes. Ari Sally. She was actually, she's another All My Children alum, along she with uh, Sarah Michelle Geller. But I yes. think she was on after she did her this episode. Yeah, she was, she was, was it Raquel? She was, uh... Uh, Mateo's ex-wife or yeah. baby mama or something for those mm-hmm. of us who've actually watched All My Children. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I recognized her from uh, Saved by the Bell, the college years. She did an episode of that uh, uh, for that very short time it was on and it was it was dealing with uh, Slater's uh, Mexican heritage, his Latino heritage that he was denying. Um, it, it seems like um, she, she is a Mexican actress here playing... Um, Incan, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, um. yeah. She's in. Um, I think she's in the Machete movies. She is. Yes, she's she in is. Machete, um, uh, and she's currently, I think, in Queen of the South. Oh, interesting. She's. I, I looked her up. She's from El Paso. So yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, yeah, when she was on All My Kids, she was part of the Santos or related to the Santos family. So they were all Mexican. I think from Texas. So. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's done a lot of that. I mean, that's yeah. Her accent is like, what are you doing? I, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think my biggest complaint about this episode overall is probably the oh, are you vaguely brown? Cool. We're just gonna stick you wherever. Gil Birmingham, you Kamachi, that's close enough to Peruvian. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, right, and, and and even if she was doing a, a Mexican American accent, it's not good. <clears throat> nope. Like it's yeah. a really, really, really hard a- a- accent to do. I don't even try it because I don't want to make fun of the people in my lives that have that accent so i'm not 
Like, I don't well, even not, attempt it. I'm not entirely sure she was, because I also looked her up, and it said she lived in Mexico for a while to be on a mm-hmm. Mexican soap opera. So I'm not entirely... I think maybe the problem with her accent was she was consciously trying not to do a Mexican-American accent. Yeah. And um, it's yeah. sort of... It kind of was all over got the place. Away from her, yeah. Yeah, I watch enough um, uh, Jane the Virgin to know what an actual Mexican accent sounds like. Yay! Um, but, uh, and I live in New Mexico, so I hear that yeah. quite frequently. But, um, yeah, it's, it's I just actually had a, I had a friend in high school who was actually um, a Mexican immigrant who was staying with her uh, aunt and uncle for a while. So, yeah, I know what a real one sounds like. I also know what Peruvian sounds like because my junior high school Spanish teacher was actually Peruvian, mm-hmm. so. She sounds like, and she goes in and out of it on certain words. It sounds like, it's just really not good. And Buffy has sort of a a history. They have a bad bad track record of it. Unless it is an English (laughs) accent. Yeah. It's no good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, actually I, a lot of the Brits that they get on the show are not Brits. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did a not bad job of getting people who are able to do them. But then you do get situations where you have Kendra. Oh, Kendra. I mean, Kendra's the big Basically, one. Like there's... if you're brown, you're getting a bad accent. If yeah, you're white, yeah. you get to be English. <laughs> you're, you're either except, brown except or you're David Sven. Boreanaz. Except for Sven in this one, and he had a terrible... I don't know what that I don't was, know what accent like- Sven has. That is... <laughs> no, I don't either. Yeah, that was like faux... I mean, it's certainly not Scandinavian. Okay, MC and I actually have friends who are Scandinavian, particularly Danish, and they sound nothing like whatever Sven was supposed to sound like. Every, no, so def- I don't know every Swedish person I've ever met has a very... Like, it's almost indiscernible, their accent itself, because they learn English from such a young age. It's And they're both, like, Germanic roots, I think, like, proto-Germanic roots, English, and like you know nordic languages like that so i i I, this is really special this entire episode was just special yeah (laughs) yeah yeah my our danish friends um actually speak english amongst themselves they actually don't actually like to speak danish so we were at conventions and they would be all speaking in english and like forget that they were actually speaking in english (laughs) and they had like very slight accents and also very slightly British because a lot of them did come to the UK and, and learned English that way, compared to American mm-hmm. English. But yeah, they sound. I don't know what Sven was supposed to be, but it certainly was the not Swedish real chef. Scandinavian. Yeah, 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 he was about two seconds away from Bork, Bork, Bork. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, so, uh, I, I think that he only had one line basically, so they didn't bother with. Yeah, like it was a good trying. line though. It was. It is, yeah. It was a good line, but... Um, So just to get into this episode uh, proper, we start out with uh, our uh, young Scoobs uh, talking about the cultural exchange, Mm -hmm. and Buffy is angsting about the fact that Joyce has decided to participate in it. Mm -hmm. And is anybody else, like, really shocked that Joyce would actually participate in this? This seems like something that, like, would not, like, be Mm. interesting to Joyce. I don't... And it just seems like, considering Joyce is always worried about, you know, things like the bills and, you know, single mother mm. with the, you know, the deadbeat dad, that she might not be, like, too, like, you know, keen on paying for this <laughs> cultural exchange student to come in for two weeks. Mm. Um, yeah, and the other thing to me, and just, this, this is my biggest beef with this episode is so much, like, what is this with the logistics? It's like, I have friends who have taken in 
you know, dealt with the exchange thing. You have to like apply. There's like a whole bit. You have to, you know, interviews. This is not just something that somebody would spring on their kids like then overnight. Yeah. Oh, guess what, kids? We're having somebody from another country come and stay with us. And you know, so it's just kind of weird that suddenly, oh, ta-da, it's happening to Buffy. And then we won't even talk about the, we're going to just pick up this person at the bus depot at like nine o'clock at night <laughs> oh. without any, like... At a bus. Like I said, the, right. The, the, the whole episode is, is rife with like um, questionable yeah. actions. Like, don't, don't, don't you like do a count off? Just like a, a quick, do we have as many students as we arrive with as we leave? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I was. How did they just get into the, the the museum like in the middle of the night to go look for things? I mean, the, the logic is just it, it makes my brain hurt. There's dramatic license, and then there's what the hell is going on here? I was also wondering why both Cordelia and Buffy got male exchange students. That seems to me like yeah. something that they would yeah work with. You know, hmm. you're not usually going to get this. Um, uh, I can't. Yeah. No, they they probably wouldn't put yeah a te- yeah, teenage boy. I mean, with it, unless girls. you have boys in the family, yeah. Like I said, my, the friends of mine have had it. If they have only girls, then they usually get a girl. If they have only boys, they'll get a boy. If they have mixed, then it's then it's up in the air. But yeah, generally, like people with only female children do not get yeah. male exchange students. Yeah, I mean, and it's only a two week cultural exchange, so it's not like the semester or year long thing that my friends yeah. have had. Mm-hmm. Students, but yeah. still, it's like, come on, they like one of you's coming in on a bus. This, I just, just it doesn't. And we only see two of the exchange students. We see Sven and we see Fake Ampata. Wait, a bus from and where? Then, yeah, and, and, and also you should like when they have exchange. There's there's like a group like the Rotary or something that tends to organize this. So there's somebody who's like administration that would actually check the people in and say, oh yes, you're Ampata. Yeah, you're Sven. You're going here. Yeah. You're going there. Not just like, oh, the family's going to come pick you up at a bus depot at nine o'clock at night with nobody around. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's just logistically it's all. And I mean the thing mess. is, you saw Cordelia with a Facebook uh, right, from right. back in the days, like when Facebook meant something completely different. Right. Uh, but yeah, Cordelia is like drooling over the picture of Sven. And it's like, Buffy, if you looked up your exchange student, and Buffy's just on, like, ah, no, he's a guy. So. She has the book right there. Hmm. And I mean, I yeah, mean, I know why they didn't look it up, because, you know, plot. Plot, right. <laughs> yeah, but Joyce, Joyce should have had photographs, or Joyce should have had, like, paperwork or something. Yeah. And it, uh, no. I mean, I, yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, I think okay, you're a girl. It's, it's poorly plotted, so I guess we'll just, move. you know what I mean? It's like, we could yeah, okay. I, I think and, we're I think we're basically just safe assuming that they sweated no details while doing right, research. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I mean, yeah, these exactly. are the guys who wrote the pack. So I'm I not I was going to say now yeah. their research is a little bit better than the research on the pack. Yes. So no, I, um definitely the research on this episode is better than on the pack, but But not about for, foreign exchange students. But not about foreign no, foreign exchange, exchange students. students. Right. I I feel like a lot of their ideas are just like okay, this is the way it's going to work because it has to work this way for the plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Which might explain yeah. why this is the last episode that they wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, um, on things that bugged us that have not, that aren't like nitpicky, you know, realism things. Um, Xander's joke about his dad trying to sell him to Armenia. Oh, I know. That, <laughs> that yeah. wasn't a fucking joke and it hurts me. I, I don't think he actually tried to sell him, but I think there's a grain of truth. 
I have to say, my my I I when I heard that, I was like, I, is he kidding? <laughs> I honestly I don't, don't know. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure either. Uh, you know, uh, knowing um, his dad, <sighs> yeah, from what we've seen of him. I'm pretty sure his dad got tanked and was probably talking to some guys about, how about you take my kid? He's good. You know, he can lift stuff. Yeah. Right. And if you pay me for it, even better than I can pay my bar tab. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, No, I mean, Xander infuriates me in this episode in many ways, but then they do, they, they pepper, they pepper these little bits about his home. Like that. I'm just like, you know, you're doing okay, Xander, from the shit you come from. Mm-hmm. Right. Honestly, I mean, Xander didn't really bother. There were a couple of things Ugh. in this episode where I'm like, oh, this is not cool. But for the most part, I actually found Xander to be very humanized in this episode. Mm-hmm. And he, he didn't yeah. bother me that much. I, I have to, mm. there was one thing when I, like, it, it suddenly occurred to me. It's like, it's interesting that Xander and Cordy <clears throat> will get together in a bit because they are the two people in this episode who do, as Sven put it, punchy drinky. Yes. Which which was making me punchy stabby, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank you. It was. I mean, because that and but like it was interesting. It's like it's Xander and Cordy, and no one else does any of that. Mm-hmm. Like the the whole like talking slow and it's like ah and, yeah right. And the your English is very yeah. bueno. Oh Uh-oh. God, yes. Oh fuck right off. Is yeah, what my that, says. that that yeah, Xander Xander at the beginning of the episode is actually kind of awful, but mm-hmm. he, yeah. he gets, yeah he gets but better. We, but we do see he does one get, of the also... first like real appearances of okay, I'm going to sacrifice myself for my friend Xander, which is like his best redeeming quality. Yeah, Fun. no, I mean he's lovely <laughs> by the end of the episode, but the mm-hmm. yeah the the icarumbas and your yes. and the slow talking because Buffy and Willow don't do that. No. no, they don't. No. They just and Joyce doesn't do it. Nobody does it except for Xander, who's well, and, and Cordy. But Cordy never even lets Sven speak, well, so she ha- and and you wonder how her parents treat I'm, him because I'm, <laughs> you never see. I it. mean, it's like even for Cordy, that's really kind of off the charts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's she like, does have that line with Devin where it's like they don't even speak American, and I'm like, oh, oh my god, my Cordelia god. is in Trump's America. I mean, but, <laughs> yeah, but I mean. Uh, that Honestly. line did make me laugh because of for that reason. Just like, okay, well, I mean, and if one of them was like that, if Cordelia was just like that, I think we could accept it or I could accept it more because she is tone deaf in certain ways and she is obnoxious. But Xander, I just like, why are you doing this? Like, just stop. Stop now. And compounding that with, like, the way he treats Willow throughout this entire episode, which I'm sure we will get to, mm-hmm. I just, like, want to smack him until the yeah. end. He redeems himself in the end, but other than that, yeah. no. Actually, yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, I noticed ahead, there were actually some some similarities because I was sort of thinking about I was listening back to our uh, Prophecy Girl episode and there are actually a few similarities between this and Prophecy Girl weirdly. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see that. There's the like like but specific things like the going with Willow to the dance question, which came oh, yeah. up in Prophecy Girl, mm-hmm. and again Willow has to come to a point where she says, "No, I'm not putting up with this." I mean, she kind of improves here because in Prophecy Girl, she starts the episode by, like, being Zach Xander's practice girl to ask out mm-hmm. Buffy, and she's like, and we even said she's like, oh yeah, we can practice some more, and it's like, oh no, no Willow, don't no, mm-hmm. stop that. <laughs> and here it's just like, no, she's like, yeah, this is. I think this is where she just finally gets it. 
Yeah, like, no, I, I, I have that written in my notes, too, that yeah. this is definitely where Willow kind of moves past the Xander thing. We'll have a little, like, some throwbacks to it later on, mm-hmm. but this is kind of the point where it really starts to separate, which is very coincidental when the, the wonderful Mighty Oz has mm-hmm. come well, yes. things. So I um, But, um, no, I thought a lot of the interactions between... Um, with the relationships of the characters, a lot of it was a throwback to season one. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, yeah. Willow with pining for Xander, and there's all of the jealousy Xander has for when he thinks Empata. Well, is and then boy. he refers to, he tells Empata, you know, he's about to ask her to the dance, and he's like, oh, I thought you were going to rip out my still beating heart, and blah, blah. He's referring to Buffy, right? Like mm. asking yeah. her to the prophecy girl dance, and her saying no, but I'm like, Buffy didn't stomp on your still beating heart rip it out of your chest but i think he he has a line about that though he does yeah he does he said you know rip out my part and stomp on it still beating or whatever the line is he's referencing buffy who actually let him down gently Mm -hmm. and remained his friend in spite of the constant shit he gives her about other guys and his gross contents like I'm... she didn't you took a chance you revealed your feelings i'm glad mm-hmm. you did you can't keep holding it against your best one of your best friends well because here's she said the no. thing xander can't help how he feels and it's True. not like he's holding it against buffy he is making a vague comment to impata mm-hmm. about a time when a girl hurt him when he asked them out like i mean he might be referring to buffy he might be referring to one of the many other times he has tried (laughs) to ask out girls and had them turn him down because you know that he's been turned down a lot yeah Yeah. and Um, and she does he does also ask her if she's a praying mantis (laughs) yeah that's pretty Um, great so he's covering all his bases solid gag yeah right except he didn't think about you know like life-sucking mummies but you know now he knows for future to ask that too okay um since we are talking about relationships, um, is it just me or does anyone else think that Rod Rodney beat up Xander for five years because he fucking had a crush on Willow? A thousand percent. Oh, yeah. Yes, a million hmm. times. Like, Rod, it's so weird because he's like this, you know, juvenile delinquent, you know, and everything. But he's so, like, the second he realizes that it's Willow, he, like, brightens up and is all like, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, she, I, I made, it really heartened me to see that somebody, even as reprehensible as Ron, actually, like, responds to her and, like, wants to actually, like, have her tutor him and stuff like yes. that. Because I was going to say, one of the things about this episode that I like but I hate is Willow breaks my heart throughout the entire thing. I think just Allison is phenomenal in this. And Willow's treatment, I, I can relate to it way too much in terms of being, you know, the, the pining for somebody else, etc. Mm-hmm. And Xander is so clueless, I just want to punch I him. I personally have a problem with the way Willow acts in this episode. Okay. Uh, uh, Willow and Xander need to fucking sit down and actually talk about shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has yeah. been going on for basically a year now. And Willow is so fucking passive-aggressive when it comes to Xander. Mm -hmm. She has not actually come up to him and said, Hey, Xander, you know, I like you. Um, She is, you know... And and then, um, at least I knew with you, he he didn't have a shot. She is waiting for Xander to just, you know, notice her. And it's like, no, Willow, you freaking sack up and just go up to Xander and well, not say, just but I think, I I think that's her, something about Willow that and until like season four really I mean that's her personality mm-hmm. it's not a good trait but I think that's something about her that she's always like putting herself 
in the back and putting other people ahead and all and being very passive about it. Yeah. And like I said, I can relate to that in a way. Also, I think, and maybe this is me projecting, that I think she's afraid to talk to Xander because it's one of those situations where he's my friend. You know, if he doesn't notice this, if I bring it up, though, it might make it more awkward and I'll lose him even as a friend. Well, So that's I how mean, I've always I've read it. I mean, I, it's like I said, it's not a positive characteristic, but she breaks my heart because I've been there, done that in too many ways. Well, so. I mean, that's, that's fair, but considering how... It worked for Buffy and Xander. I I feel like maybe it's a little it's a shortcoming on the writer's part too because I feel like that's how they wrote it. She's afraid that she's going to lose Xander as a friend, but considering that Buffy and Xander, all of the chips are on the table, they know where they both stand, and they're still really good friends. I I don't see Xander, especially considering the end of this episode, like abandoning Willow because he knows she has a crush on him. She knows. And I feel like it's less that she's waiting for Xander to notice him and more that she's waiting for him to settle for her, which is yeah. even sad. I, I would actually agree, agree with that. Yeah. yeah, she does have yeah. that whole line about, like, do I have to wait for Xander to date every girl that isn't me? Yep. So. And even she's then like, when she's talking to Buffy yet. and she's like, right. I'm, you know, I'm, um, you know, moving on with my life or whatever. And she's like, good for you. She's like, I still haven't chosen yet or something along those yeah. lines. It's like, yeah. oh, damn. Yeah, no, when yeah, she but said... Willow is somebody that I think, like, just ego-wise is completely in the dumpster. She doesn't understand her value or her worth for, like, so, so Oh, long. for sure. And I, that, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, that's something about the, I love about the character and also infuriates me because we know she's better than that, but she doesn't. And, I mean, it, it's an arc, I think, that goes through even through season four because I have a lot to say we'll have a lot to say about her and Tara and that relationship too oh, through season four um, I think it's all the way back to, to the this. end in my opinion I think that's the reason why she was so susceptible to um, her addiction and 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 resulting um, fallout from oh definitely that. yeah I mean I, I, yeah, I mean because I love Willow in these early episodes I, I do and I loved her then but Willow is like my least one of my least favorite characters um, in <laughs> Buffy, um, and I think you start seeing some of this build up to things that are going to happen and have major consequences for the future. Not in this episode as much, but mm. sort of some of her character traits are, yeah. I mean, her lack of confidence, her lack of feeling worth, her lack of, you know, it's gonna it's gonna carry forward with her in all her relationships, romantic or platonic. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. That's what I'm saying. I mean, like my. One of my arguments about Tara, et cetera, is Tara's like, really, if you think about it, she's the first person that loves Willow for Willow and is like unconditional. And I think in a way, Willow kind of hooks on to her because she knows Tara wants her and needs her and suddenly sees Willow as sort of the, the, the more dominant person in the relationship where she's been so badly treated by everybody, including Oz, including Xander. Wait, wait, wait. So. Oz? The future cheating, After I think. Well, well, no, well I, I mean, I, we'll get we'll get into that in that episode well, because we get to I have some feelings about that. Yeah, but yeah, no, I don't know. Um, I mean, I do respect Willow for uh, telling Xander that he should just take Empata to the dance mm-hmm. uh, because I mean, for before that, she was very much trying to undermine their relationship. And do you know what? Uh, as you know, Empata. As far as life-sucking, you know, monster girls go, Empata's actually not all that bad, and actually her relationship with Xander is really cute. It is. Yeah, I, really I love the Twinkie, with her, the Twinkie sure. thing gets me. Ooh, I love yeah. the Twinkie I wrote a fun thing. fact about that. Did y'all see the um, the little trivia about the Twinkie scenes? 
Oh, how many yeah. they had to eat? Like 10 each shot. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, oh. God. That's a lot of Twinkie. That's disgusting. That's making my stomach hurt just to think mm-hmm. about it. I hope they gave them, like, buckets. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you'd need a, yeah. You'd need a spit bucket. Yeah, you definitely yeah. need I know a this, like, here. The same thing ha- happened with Misha Collins on um, an episode of Supernatural where his... Um, his character the like, hamburgers addicted to eating burgers oh, yes. yeah um and he, like his character was supposed to eat like it was in the low hundreds mm-hmm. oh, i think oh, he said like 500 yeah. something so it's just yeah. the entire episode he's shoving burgers in his mm-hmm. mouth and yeah i think mm-hmm. now misha collins does not eat burgers from that but oh, blame him <laughs> can't blame him yeah. i was gonna say also i mean my take on this my first note on this which i do remember was just like you know we've all they're, they're going through the universal monsters so you know we've done the the well, we haven't done the werewolf yet, but we've done the vampire. We've done mm-hmm. the, you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon. We've done Frankenstein. So now it's time for the mummy. And I think they're trying to make her not a complete villain. I mean, she's not that evil and she's got reasons for it, but it doesn't quite work. So no, but... um, I actually, I found Empato to be very sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. Because honestly, like she is not doing anything out of malice. It is out of a want. Self-preservation. It's self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah. It's survival. It's mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's pure survival. And of course, they they make the parallel between her and Buffy. Yeah, very oh, very sure. explicitly. Yeah, there was actually uh, when this episode aired in the fandom a headcanon long before people were actually calling them headcanons. Everyone was sure that Impata had been a slayer or at the very least a potential. Ooh. Um, that's really yeah, interesting. Sure. At which like actually makes sense because I'm going to get into some of my research about uh, ink and mummies because oh I, I, I did, did some too. It. You're such a um, good podcast host, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And I mean, like they are going through the universal monsters, but they did go interesting in that they did not go Egyptian mummy. They decided mm-hmm. right. to go ink and with it, and it made sense because actually at the time of this episode there was. Um, <laughs> A mummy touring, um, uh, the mummy Juanita, the um, Ice Maiden. Okay, the, oh, yeah. the Incan Ice Maiden, aka Lady of Empato, mm-hmm. which is where they got the name, which makes sense because right. Empata is not a Peruvian name, uh, either for men or women. Um, but uh, with Incan mummies, um, the their sacrifices to the gods, they tended to be children. Uh, actually, the eldest tended to be 15, which Empata is a little bit older than that. Um, she makes so, a point of saying she's 16, specifically. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, so, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I was thinking, okay, well, if you take that her as a slayer or a potential, maybe they uh, made an exception to the, you know, we're only going to sacrifice, you know, kids and sacrifice this woman because she is special this is you know her being a slayer is why they um she is an actual woman though i one point uh i will bring up for a nitpick that incan mummies did not lie down like that no Uh, they didn't um uh incan mummies are in the fetal position rather than laid out flat interesting yeah and most of them were um like bludgeoned yeah, yeah. That's how they 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 gave the the children something to calm their nerves and make them really compliant. They gave them cocaine. Oh uh, yeah, cocaine. and then they 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 actually had raised a lot of these children to be sacrificed, fattened them up, all that stuff. So yeah. I what the the research that I did, the body was on tour in 1996, yeah. and then Bill Clinton 
oh god love you bill what said absolutely tasteless the Peruvian government said he was tasteless and he said if I were single man I see I can't do Bill Clinton if I were single man I might ask the mummy out she's a good looking mummy and I'm like oh Jesus Christ Bill Clinton but this whole <sighs> thing was going on about a year year and a half before they probably broke the story for this episode and yeah so she was on tour at the time unlike the pack which had no basis on actual hyenas this was actually researched okay so this was like <laughs> law and order they spent was... all their research time learning about incan mummies which is very cool but not about exchange students and, <laughs> and, and cultural right. stuff yeah. or, or, no, or mean, even actually, like a little bit of world you... building because i think my biggest complaint other than the um general casting questions uh would be like it would a hundreds year old mummy not just be like catatonic um and i don't care how much she absorbed while she was a mummy like would she not just be like oh my god the world has changed uh <laughs> did she yeah she, well, she adjusted so quickly is what i'm yeah, saying i'm there, still there, adjusting there are, to, to i have technology. a lot of questions about the mechanics <laughs> of all this because yeah, like, that's what I was talking about in terms of logistics. I mean, down to the fact that she's even wearing like modern clothing and pants. I mean, okay, first she yeah. steals. I'm assuming she steals Boy Ampato's clothes, yeah. but she knows how to, like pants. artfully knot her T-shirt oh, so that it looks like kind of a funky thing. <laughs> yeah, that um, is. She and then she's wearing yeah. hair, makeup. And she course, wears she, the high waisted '90s jeans. She's got a cut sure crease. Ampata did not have those in his two decades before they were yeah. before they were popular. And, and, and as we as we are told, her English is very bueno. And like, where did she get that from? Well, she said well, she's like she was conscious. Like, she and well, was that's a thing. That's another thing. Like, she was remembered she conscious everything. That whole time, that's which is she was horrifying. conscious the entire time. Yes. Which strikes me as odd. <laughs> yeah, she would not be so well adjusted. I don't think. But and, beyond yeah. all that, you can sort of absorb things. Uh, I guess like language and like I guess a little bit of culture. But I would freak out the first time I saw a plane. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Or a bus. She should be freaking out over radios, bus. televisions, cars, yeah. like, you know, I'm, cell phones. She doesn't react to anything. <laughs> She's super chill. Yeah. The chillest mummy, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I, I, ex- I accept that because... Really? Yeah, I do. Um, well, because there's not really a lot of time to, no. you know... <laughs> uh, <laughs> We, we don't really see her interacting with that kind of stuff for the most part. I mean, she gets introduced to Twinkies and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that scene is so great. Okay. And, and how does she know about lipstick? From, from Buffy, I guess she watches her, but I, I mean, I think I, if there was, yeah. I could headcount on this and say she, when she like sucks the life energy out of people, she somehow gets their cultural, uh, you know, that's, whatever. Uh, I mean, you, you could probably could find helpful. a way of, of twisting it, but they never give us that thing there so it's yeah it's basically not very well thought out no No, i mean this is why these guys don't write for the show right Right. it's really just not good so but speaking of things we've been talking about nitpicks and research and complaining about willow i have a a complaint about i have a rare complaint about willow okay (laughs) is it the outfit Uh, no oh no it is when she's talking to rodney and she asks him how many natural elements there are. Uh-huh. Okay. And she says there are 103. Where the hell does she get that number? There are 98 naturally occurring elements. And total elements, there were only 100, there were 112 at the time. 
So, huh. what the the last element to be discovered by the time of this episode was un- unubium, which was discovered in 1996, and that was element 112. So she's not giving the total number of elements, and she's wildly overestimating the number of natural, naturally occurring elments. I mean, the well, gag would have worked. Why they're if, not writing yeah. again? I mean, it's, it's bad. But I am, I'm so disappointed in Willow. It means Willow's not as smart as she thinks. And she it's is. like she should, I mean, actually, she should not be this, tutoring Kim. <laughs> this is one of my problems with Willow. Um, I like I do have many problems with Willow, but they kind of make her an omnidisciplinarian scientist. Mm-hmm. It's like she is she is supposed to be a, ha- a hacker. She is computer girl. But then they have her like be into chemistry and they have her be at physics and they do all of this stuff. I mean, they do the same thing with Fred over on Angel, I, mm-hmm. where it's like, if you're smart at one thing, then you must be smart at all of the things. Um, I mean, I think, I think part of it is that Willow really is a good student and you're getting a broad based education in high school. Yeah. Because she also tutors Buffy in French. Right. But I mean, yeah. they follow through I mean, with that I mean, honestly, through her to college. Because, and out of past college, because you see in, I believe, season six, um, it, the, um, the Double Meat Palace episode, where she's actually doing chemistry. Right. It isn't just mm-hmm. theoretical chemistry. It's she is actually running an experiment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of her own volition. Man, I mean, she she's apparently so good at school that she is able to get back into university with absolutely no problem after having a massive drug addiction the year before. Well, they, they, they comment on that. They were like, you know, we were worried about you, but you showed up and aced all of your exams. It was almost like magic. And she was like, <laughs> so apparently she used magic to ace her exams. Yeah. I mean, I, I would not, I'm not at all surprised that later on she would be able to do chemistry because as mm. she points out at one point that by that time she's doing magic and by double me pal, she's doing magic and, as she points out, magic is like chemistry, but with more newt. Oh, that's a really good point, David. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. that line now, yeah. Um, I mean, she's the Hermione. She's good at everything. <laughs> Except and for honestly, the just, knowledge of chemistry, as David said. Well, I have problems with yeah. Hermione, too. I just, I'm not really, a bi- I'm not really keen on the, uh, you know, you know, jack-of-all-trades uh, uh, scientist character. I yeah, I mean, it happens you. on... Um, I gotta tell you, I was like that in high school. Yeah. Uh, except for biology, because I just didn't like biology. But but <laughs> you see, I, good I general, was the opposite. Good general of... knowledge of science, definitely. I would have mm-hmm. I would have been able to give a good general uh, general information about most of the sciences. You certainly would have known how many elements there are. <laughs> you should too. I mean, Rodney. Willow <laughs> is able to figure out how the invisibility gun works in season six. (laughs) And that is not general at all. Yeah, she's like multi-purpose, science-y, computer-y lady. She's a Swiss Army scientist. Mm -hmm. I mean, mean, the science, I I, I definitely, after high school and and when you're figuring out invisibility guns, yeah, that's a bit much. But I think for the, what she's, is required of her here and given the broad, the broad scope of high school, this is not that crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is crazy that she does not know how many elements there are. <laughs> it's crazy yeah. that the writers okay. couldn't even bother to fact check the elements. Oh, no. At this yeah, point, I've given up on the writers. True. <laughs> True. Yeah, they're not very good fact checkers. Um, so, yeah. Um, 
did have a problem with Giles's first scene. Why doesn't Giles want Buffy going to the dance? There's, it's not like the night of St. Vigis is coming up. They already stopped that. Um, usually when Giles is trying to stop Buffy from going to something, he has a fucking reason for it. Yeah, yeah. And mm. this time it's just like, you're the chosen one. You can't go. Hmm. I mean, it Doesn't does give us sense. the great line, blah, blah, bitty, blah. I'm so stuffy. Give me a stick scone, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is an amazing line. <laughs> but I want to know what the fuck. Is he, fuck actually, Giles. is he actually saying she can't go to the dance? Yeah. 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 Yes. That's why Buffy starts bitching about how she has no life and, you know, she can't go to the dance because he says you can't go. You've got to do Slayer stuff. Hmm. And I mean, like, no explanation as to what Slayer stuff. It's just like, you're the Slayer. You can't dance. Yeah, he sort of lucked out with the fact that there was a mummy running around because he was already pretty against her going to the dance. And he was like, oh, you got to do the the mummy thing. I mean, that was even before the whole mummy thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Willow hadn't come in yet. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, Again, figure it out very quickly. Poor characterization sure. on pretty much everybody. Yeah, um, no, I, yeah. a lot of it. Like, I do think a lot of it comes down to that these were kind of holdovers from season one, and that mm. this plays a lot more like a season one episode than a it really does. Episode. Really does. It may have been a holdover. You don't really yeah. know, except for Oz. So, mm. well, I mean, there's nothing to say that they weren't going to introduce Oz earlier because actually, yeah, that, that's uh, what I'm saying. They, uh, we are not only introduced to Oz. But we are introduced to his band, Dingo's Ate My Baby, Yay! which they reference. Dingo's Ate My Baby. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, they do the band. Yeah, no, I mean obviously Seth Green's not in it, but they uh, they reference Dingo's Ate My Baby as the band playing at the Bronze. Mm. Right. Oh, okay. speaking of the pilot, things we have not seen since the unaired pilot, Jonathan. Yes. Yay, Yay Jonathan. I mean, this episode is actually really amazing because this is really a you know one-off episode like if you yes very much if you needed to skip over it you totally could and nothing of value would be lost mm-hmm. other than the appearances of a bunch of reoccurring characters mm-hmm. uh because we're introduced to oz we're introduced to jonathan and okay devin's not like a huge reoccurring character but he is still a reoccurring character over three seasons mm-hmm. so. and i'm gonna compliment that actor his lip sync does not suck Mad no. props for him. He actually looks like he's doing that '90s alternative band face, and the yeah, mm. good job on that dude. Yes, I, I've actually, I don't know who actually sang for him, but it, I was like thinking this is like Pearl Jam light, but it's good. It like uh, I actually I, I wrote Four Star Mary, uh, Dingoes ate my baby, aka Four Star Mary, aka Four Star Mary. generic late '90s alternative band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My brain was going I, Seven yeah. Mary Three, and I was like, no, that's not right. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've always had a soft spot for Four Star Mary, though. I have of course, a soft that, spot, but... of course, a big part of it is because I, you know, think Four Star Mary, and I think Dingoes Dingo ate my baby. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, for yes, sure. they uh, did uh, two songs in this uh, episode. They did Shadows, uh, which is the first song they did at the dance, and then Fate, which is when Xander and Empata are dancing, and also when Oz sees Willow for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. then also Kristoff. Beck did a song called Empata's Kiss. Yeah. Good good scene, by the way. Like, cinematography... Well, that's not a word I want to try and pronounce right now, but the cinematography of that kiss is very good. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. The backlighting was lovely. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I don't have any problems with someone in the direction in this episode. Mm. I have it's not outstanding. Other things, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean... 
The only thing I, I noticed that at the end of the episode is they do that like faux pan flute kind of motif yeah. in it and I'm like really Kristoff really <laughs> really because yeah. she's Peruvian we gotta stick a fucking band flute in there <laughs> sorry I'm just like, so. really offended by this episode um, um, maybe he's a fan of El Condor Paso by Paul Simon you know or she's Peruvian flutes and Peruvian musicians she's Peruvian and so they got to I know I'm the, being sarcastic uh, here just being silly because it's Peruvian musicians so I'm, it's like you know Everybody knows this, right? Hint, hint. <laughs> I was I wondering. I mean, of course, the um, Doyleist answer is sloppy writing. But mm -hmm. I like to go Watsonian on things. Um, but does Empata have like a siren type men luring ability? Because she seems to be able to get dudes like to her pretty easily. Well... They're teenage boys, and she is. She, I mean, she's very. Pretty. Well, she's very. She's got she's great very hair. Very pretty. Like, yeah, I think it's just her natural charisma, okay. you know, and, and and looks. Yeah. Because you know, boys of that age are fairly shallow, and they see pretty girl, and just especially Jonathan. Come on, it's not like she picked Devin, who's okay, like, yeah, I'm a cool guy. She picked actually, Jonathan. Jonathan, yeah, like Devin might be easier to like get to, other True. than the fact that he might be afraid of Cordelia. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, that's Jonathan, that's Jonathan, Jonathan even Devin would probably like, Devin you want to hook up? You want to hook yeah. up? Let's go. Whereas, John, yeah, right, Jonathan's going to be like, I don't understand. You're pretty. Why are you talking to me? Yes. Yeah, Jonathan actually even says, like, you know, you're with Xander. Why are you coming with me? I think Jonathan's as baffled as anyone. Yeah. He, th he yeah. thinks there's going to be some cruel joke pulled on him, because oh, I bet Jonathan. you that has happened to Jonathan yeah. before. True. Very good point. But Which it's might nice feed to into a later episode of, of a Jonathan appearance, that is. Yeah. Yeah, I actually I love Jonathan as much as he becomes the villain I and he's messed up. I, I love oh, I Jonathan. Love him. I think he, I, lo I yeah. love Danny Strong. He's just we will me too. talk so much about Jonathan because I, I have so many Jonathan feelings. I do yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love Jonathan, so I'm glad to yeah. see his very first appearance since the unaired pilot. Yeah. Yes. Does anybody uh, have any favorite jokes this episode? Uh, just a very, like, this is a very small one. Like, mm. it's blink and you miss it. I love Giles icing himself after he's had his conversation with Buffy. And yes. she's beat the crap out of him. So, okay, so out of all the culturally inappropriate costumes, Xander actually does okay. Because he's not dressed as a culture. He's dressed, he's dressed as, as Clint like, Eastwood. He's like... <laughs> well, he is, he is from the is, country of Leone, yes. It is. Which is, is, is actually... That's actually a great joke. That is a yeah. great That is actually joke. a really good joke. It's it a is. great... And as much as, you know, we have issues with Nicholas Brendan at certain times, I mean, he looked really good. Oh, he did. Actually worked that oh, I love Nicholas beautifully. Brendan. Sometimes actually, I, I gotta say, I think his performance in this is terrific. Oh, I do No, he's very good. Yeah, it's not his fault that Xander is a mega weenie <laughs> no that's true and i think one of the reasons first time through watching it in my 20s in the 90s when you didn't quite get some of this stuff is because nikki is so winning and so heartfelt and like mm -hmm. like when they do this spell later on when he represents the heart he really does he's yeah. just so problematically written but nikki himself his performances are always really good i i very mm. much enjoy him um so and really honestly for me in this episode, I don't think Xander is all that bad because he gen he he when he sees Empata, it is you know oh that's a hot girl, 
But they have an honest connection with each yeah. other. No, yeah. No, uh, right. Yeah, it's not just that she's some kind of siren and she's, you know, like, you know, supermodel that's like wrapping him around her her little finger and doesn't really, and just, just using him. Yeah. She seems to honestly care mm-hmm. about yeah. him. Yeah. Which is why she has the hesitations no, and stuff they, like that, which is nice. Yeah, they, there, there was a, seem, they genuinely seem to like each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there Xander, was a cut scene where Empata and Buffy are talking about Xander, and Empata says, he has a way of making the milk come out of my nose. <laughs> and Buffy says, <laughs> so and that's good. That's and so cute. cute. Right, and, um, and you actually get to see how Xander is on a date. Like, he's mm-hmm. respectful, he's sweet, he's funny. That Xander is the Xander that I kind of was crushing on, mm-hmm. you know, in the 90s. He's, mm-hmm. you know, I love a funny dude. So, you know, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, there, there there is a hint of, like, niceness. I kind of, you know, but then again, he's written so problematically that I want to mm-hmm. throw things at him. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't blame I don't blame Nikki uh, at all for things that happen with Xander, especially the writing. That's I, you know, it's one of those things where people can hate a character or love a character, but a lot of it has to do with the writing for me. So I don't. Oh blame yeah, for sure. I I, just, I find Nikki adorable. So yeah, yeah, so, and I and I do. I do like him with Empata, and I think that they cared about each other a lot. And mm-hmm. do you know what? If she didn't have to kill people. I think Xander would have totally adjusted to her being a mummy. Like if it, it, if it if it just had been like the seal breaks and then she becomes Empata and she's you know, if, if she had yeah I don't know, but I mean if mm-hmm. she, as long as she didn't have to kill people, he would have to- been totally chill with her being a monster, uh, because Xander has often been chill with monsters as long as they're not <laughs> trying to kill him. Well, it's basically True. his entire right. dating life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's almost like a, a foreshadowing of, of Oz, although I don't know, and you guys would probably know more than I, whether Oz was always meant to be a werewolf or whether it was, you know, whether that was added on later on. So, But it's a foreshadowing a little bit of Willow and Oz and just how Oz is, like, embraced by everybody, too, because they kind of deal with it once they realize he's not actually a murdering monster. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. Which, can we please talk about Oz now? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes Every time you said the word Oz, I think you can hear in the background going, Oh. <laughs> Squee! Squee! Okay, T- tell you what, you you guys go ahead and rave about Oz, and then and then I will throw some shade at Seth Green because uh, uh, in this episode because I have some issues. But oh, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I mean I okay, love I Oz is great. As one of my two favorite characters, overall Oz so is terrific. Very interested in hearing David shade. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so within three lines, he shows just how awesome Oz is. <laughs> because, I mean, like, here's the thing, like, when he is critical of Cordelia, he's, it's not like he's slut-shaming her or anything. No, he just finds her shallow and vacu- vacuous yeah. and it's not what he wants. It's much more personality-driven than, I think, looks-driven, which is, that's Oz, yeah. you know, he's a deep thinker. And, and, of course, I should point out this, we're continuing Cordy's run of just wretched boyfriends because you remember i who, whoever it was that that uh, marcy beat the hell out of when she was invisible mitch. in yeah. mitch that was mitch but like he's just like awful and here it's like like you know and she doesn't have to talk she doesn't have to talk exactly and it's like yeah so cordy cordy has a type and that type sucks mm. yeah truth yeah well i mean she Damn Cordelia it. doesn't even have good taste in friends because we will find out later that Devin dates Harmony for a while, but mm. breaks up with her because she's too vacuous. 
<laughs> Harmony. Oh, yeah, I mean, oh, yes. And okay, I remember that there were a hundred billion fanfics, one shots or two chapter ones where the feather boa and the sea themed summer. Yes, life, there were hundreds of them. I'm I think not- I wrote about fifty of them. <laughs> 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 right, the theme for Summer Place and the Feather Boa, whether that be G-rated or explicit rated, there were a billion of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, okay. Fandom. You know, whatever Oz wants, Oz gets as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I've been, me personally, I've been a fan of Seth Green for like forever since he was like Wii and in things like Hotel. Oh, I love him in New Hampshire. Hotel New Hampshire, yeah. And also Radio Days, but I, I I was not macking on him in those days, but he was just cute and funny mm. and smart, and then suddenly he became like Oz, and I was just like, Yes, please. Come to Mama. <laughs> uh, so, interesting note. Originally, um, Dave, uh, not David. Originally, Joss Whedon wanted Seth Green to wear glasses like the lead singer of Weezer, like the thick <laughs> black Cuomo? framed glasses. Oh, but um, J- Joss decided it looked tacky and got rid of it. <laughs> and I think it's really funny because I think there's three people on this podcast that are wearing thick black framed glasses. Hey. Hey, I have my hey. purple polka dotted ones today, but yes, I wear thick black frame glasses quite frequently. Yes. I can't wear thick black frame glasses because my face is too big, uh, too small, and they look too big on my face. So I'm actually wearing wire frames. But anybody who like rocks the thick black frames is like cool in my book. And if I stuck my head into the other room, my partner Dale would also be wearing thick black frames. Yes. <laughs> I so. think it wasn't that they were too tacky. I think he saw. Seth in them and it was just like no because actually if you look up pictures of Seth from like it when he is wearing like the big ah, yeah, yeah. he looks terrible yeah yeah um it just didn't suit him so no not at all um and also of course I mean this is a bit of trivia that I think everybody knows but this will not be the this was not the first time that Seth played somebody with an interest in Allison Hannigan because mm-hmm. he played. This is true. <laughs> uh, he played Allison Hannigan's date in My Stepmother is an Alien back when they were both little tiny things. Also, <laughs> I just looked up gingers. I just looked up Seth Green in glasses. This is very recent, and he looks very cute in the big black framed glasses. But this that may is have like come four. from years of like aging and growing into his own face. He was still quite young in this, and that facial hair was questionable as well. Oh God! Yeah, like, I was like, wait a minute, what is going on there with the the, the mustache and the beard? Thing? Yeah, actually, <laughs> that um, face. This is probably my least favorite Oz look out of all of. It. But still, like when this episode aired, I was still like, oh my God, I'm so in love with him. Just based off of his personality. Oh, instantly. And of course, he, he will end up, I will find him cuter later on, but the the beard and the hair didn't quite work for me. I love the van, though, in this episode. The van and, like, uh, the zebra-striped van, because uh, uh, Oz will change his van several times, uh, but my favorite was the zebra-striped yeah, one. Yeah, I do enjoy the zebra-striped one. Yeah, I was just like, you know, I, I, I'm trying to remember how I felt when I first saw it, and I went, huh, intriguing. It's the kid that's been in everything who's grown up a little bit. and But the way he looks at Willow, even just the first time he sees her, you're like... Oh my god! That I was just face. about to say, it like kills me. Just that look is like, okay, I'm gonna go and weep now. He <laughs> is fucking I mean, Twitter-pated. I mean, it's obviously a physical attraction at that point, but also she's the one in the 
Eskimo costume. So yeah, he well, must I mean, find something interesting about like. Yeah, cool. I mean, here's here's the interesting thing about Oz and why he is awesome. We have this is his first appearance, and his very next appearance is Halloween. Mm -hmm. So he will see Willow dressed in the you know short skirt and you know crop top thing. If the episodes had been reversed in terms of him seeing Willow for the first time, I'd find it a lot more questionable. But the fact yeah. that he first sees her as the Eskimo and that and he falls in love with a girl him. in a parka. Yeah. <laughs> the the Eskimo costume enchants him. So it, it is all about Willow and just Willow being adorable. Are we sure so. it's the, the parka and not the fact that she's holding a fishing spear? Because that's what would get me. <laughs> I, I was actually personal. just going to ask that. <laughs> so yeah, I, mean, I see, I see a beautiful a, redhead with a fishing spear and I'm done though. for. So. The, the the costume itself is really not appropriate. And again, I'm no. viewing this from a 2017 lens because at the time I was like, oh, Eskimo. And now I'm just like, dude, I'm sorry. Indigenous cultures are not costumes. Yeah, um, no, I mean. But she's still really fucking cute. <laughs> she's really honest, cute. I mean, for the most part, they have avoided some of the more problematic of <laughs> cultural appropriations because it's, you know, you get somebody wearing a Viking helmet. And I'm more offended by the guy that was dressed as the rabbi. Sorry. The dancing rabbi in the background pissed yeah. me off. It, it, I mean, I don't remember seeing anybody like wearing like full in, uh, Native American headdress or anything. Which Well, but there's right. someone and that there's... is dressed up in like a wig. The very. Um, there's someone dressed as a geisha. Okay, I missed that. It's one of it's it's the uh, isn't it the girl that's talking to Sven? Oh yeah. Oh my god, yeah. yeah it's yeah. the girl that's talking to yeah, Sven. Right. You've got I don't know. I it wouldn't now if this happened episode happened now, there'd be a million think pieces about cultural appropriation and I get that. Yeah. And um, that it wasn't, you know, we didn't think yeah, about I mean, it in the same way, but it's I still, did have an, a note of cultural exchange dance or cultural appropriation dance. Yeah. Because definitely 20 <laughs> years on, it's like this is a little more questionable. Um, yeah, and, 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 and again, like, even in terms of respect, I mean, like I said, I saw the dancing rabbi, and it's like, you know, Hasidic rabbi, and I'm just like, no, this is bad. Oh, if there <laughs> had been a Dia de los Muertos in the background, my head would have exploded. Exploded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, mine did, you know, it's like, yeah, this is not funny, and I'm sure, you know, half the people working on the show are Jewish, but... You know, I'm not even religious, and it's like, no. David, would you like not. to? We don't think anybody on the writing staff is Jewish, and David can tell you all about that. Uh, well, at least no one talked about Nazis in front of Willow for once. <laughs> true that. This is true. True uh, that. Da yeah. Um, David, you said you had stuff to say about, oh, about Oz. Not about Oz, about Seth Green. Oh, go ahead. Oz okay. is fine. I Okay. <laughs> Acting note. This might acting be note, words, I, 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 I cannot stand his line reading on his last line. The who is that girl? That I, was a very clunky th line. That is a clunky line, and it's yeah. a clunky line reading. I, mm -hmm. yeah. So two now. First of all, and I have I, I have words for Devin. God damn it! If you've only got one <laughs> guitarist in your band, you don't call him the lead guitarist. <laughs> yes, thank you, David. I actually noted that. And, Plus, he wasn't playing lead. He was playing chords. Well, no, the first song, I believe he is playing lead. The second one, he's playing okay. chords, and he is miming it 
miserably. Bad. Oh, yeah. Seth Green is so admitted bad. to that. So, He's not good. So bad. Yeah. It is but, like it. But has that's like typical no, for most TV shows. It has no relation to the music that's playing. Is it like the time in the puppet like, show oh. where like the bow of the violin? Yes. 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 Yeah. Seth Green, to his credit, has said, no, I was terrible. I was mm. terrible at pretending to play the guitar. I, yeah. You know, hello, no. I, I still hold it like as a slightly better than on Star Trek Next Generation when Data used to play the violin and he never even fingered. He just like moved the bow back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as a, a violin player, this like drives me nuts. So yes. Yeah. No, that, that, that was just like, I, I'm like watching that. I'm just like, you're not even trying. You're, you're... I knew that was going to be one of your points. Yeah. No, it's, well, what can I say? And I was it's... like, I don't give a shit, because Oz is awesome. Right. Logan, no, Oz, have, no, have see, you that's waited on Oz? Excuse me? Have you li- have you weighed in on Oz yet? Um, Other than to make it known that, as anybody who visits our site, shameless plug, uh, will see that he is one of my two favorite characters in the Bodyverse. Um. Okay. Same with me. The other being but nobody Tara. trusts my opinion because my other favorite character is Connor. So it's like I'm. Hey, dead to I everyone. have a lot of strong feelings about Connor. I feel you though. Um, well, for for Angel, it's Lauren. But um, yeah, no, I I I like the introduction of Oz, who sort of breaks the bounds of that taciturn man trope, in that he is not taciturn because he's emotionally cut off. You see how readily he is, uh, even you know, from this very first clunky line delivery, or no, from this very first introduction, he's a very, um, a person who's really willing to put himself out there, and I find that uh, eminently lovable about him. So, um, mm-hmm. that is the best yeah, part of this episode, is the introduction of Daniel Osborne. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's a character, he's a, a person <clears throat> that, he says what he wants to say when he wants to say it. He doesn't mm-hmm. have time for extra, extra words, because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless it's important to him. And and he's more than willing to have words that are important to him and, and be emotionally honest while yeah. also being quiet, which is, I, I yeah. I, <laughs> I will never was... forget. I believe the episode is Choices where... He he. It's like the calm fury because Willow's been kidnapped and mm-hmm. he like just trashes uh, what they're working on to destroy the mayor mm-hmm. um, because all he's worried about is Willow. Oh, so I, I I love him and I love w- when we get to earshot and we hear his thoughts that are basically exactly what Oz's thoughts would be. <laughs> right? Yeah, they're totally. But they're there's amazing. more of they're them amazing. because it's like he's you know. I, I like I do love that he is just a, a quiet person. Mm. Um Besides, and also yeah. um I think the the note in the script is that you know he he's deadpan but that there's you know not an ounce of cynicism to him. It's just he he just happens to be deadpan. Mm. Yes. Yeah, it's not bitterness. It's not cynical. Mm. He's just a very dry kind of person, which I appreciate because often the two are very conflated. Um, mm-hmm. So, which we don't yeah, see I, when we first meet Oz. This is a very bare bones introduction of his characters, and we'll, we'll dis- dissect him, I suppose, as as yeah, we go I, I I love Willow's partners way more than I love Willow because <laughs> yeah. besides Buffy, my very favorite character is Tara. Tara, and then followed pretty closely. I, I love Oz. I love Tara. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I think Oz in the entire Whedon verse ties for me with like the best partner of all time. 
and, best, and, best boy, best best man, hmm. panion, man yes. panion. That is my word for boyfriend. Yeah. Man panion in the entire Sweden versus mm-hmm. is is Oz and Wash. Yeah, and I I, I I I don't want to give anyone the wrong idea. I like I think Oz is great, mm-hmm. and I actually think Seth Green is great. It's just, in fact, I was shocked at how off-putting his performance was in part in some of this episode no, because I, ex- much I, ex- yes, I expect better from, i expect better from seth green that, i just feel like right. so much of these first two seasons and we've discussed it over and over again so many growing pains until they hit their stride mm-hmm. about i think midway through this this particular mm-hmm. season. Yeah. yeah yeah for sure i mean honestly with that um who is that girl line they were they were really trying to push this whole thing of you know like they it, they call it back in Halloween. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like they were going to have Willow and Oz be separate for even longer, but then they're like, "Ah, oh, screw it. Let's just, you know, have them meet. Uh, it was all, kind of like in uh, the Spider-Man comics where it took, you know, Spider-Man absolutely forever to actually meet Mary Jane. You oh, right, see, yeah. like, oh you know, yes. She'd be um, hidden by a plant or something. Um, and it was, and with Spider-Man, it was outside forces that brought them together as well. It wasn't really you know, um, Willow and Oz didn't meet of their own volition. They didn't seek each other out. They just sort of got thrown together and it worked yeah. out for the best. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so definitely I can see that who, who is, I, I feel it's a lot more natural what, when, once we get to Halloween. Yes. Yeah. Not, yeah. You're right. Uh, mm-hmm. but we will be getting to that in two weeks, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And you know, we will all probably collectively squee over Oz so many times yeah. that David's going to be like, oh my god, first it was Giles, and now it is Oz, yeah. and when Oh no, these... I, like, Oz is great. I love Oz. Oz is mm-hmm. terrific. No, yeah. I mean, just the, just the, like... Oh, the amount of squeeing, yeah. The no, amount I, of squeeing. Yeah. <laughs> please, I, I, I'm used to this. This is... I know, and that's David, why if you I can't love beat having him. you around, David. Okay, since we've been talking about... Well, I mean, we've taken a long break to talk about Oz, but we were talking about cultural appropriation yes. and, you know, uh, bad, you know, just use of culture. Um, Buffy at the very end of this episode um, saying that Empata was gypped. Oh, oh right. I noted God, that yeah. too. I was like, oh. The sentiment is there. Yeah. But, and I feel like, honestly, again, to be fair, we have to, we're looking at it like as a 20 year yeah. retrospective well, in, in mean, the context of the time. Yeah. Okay, but now it's like at the ooh. time I had absolutely no problem with it. At the time, I actually don't think I even knew where that word came from. Me either. Uh, but and- I mean, this is part of what this show is about. I mm-hmm. mean, we are looking at something that is twenty years old, and we are looking about at how it holds up after twenty years. Yeah. If so, I was yeah. uh, watching this with, I don't know, if I had a kid that was like, "Oh, it's time to watch Buffy. It's mommy's favorite show." Um, this would be one of those ones that I'd be like, "Okay, it's not great." <laughs> but we're going to talk about some of the stuff at the dance and we're going to talk about cultural appropriation. I'd all of a sudden use this as a learning tool, you know, I'd be like, all right, what was wrong with that? Well, I know <laughs> no. when uh, a couple years ago they came out with DVDs of classic Sesame Street, they actually came with advisories on them Yeah, uh, uh, that they were not appropriate for little kids fucking Sesame Street's not appropriate for little kids <laughs> because so much stuff had changed mm-hmm. from them uh, that stuff that would not get onto the air today 
mm-hmm. that you know the older fans wanted to see the episodes but they needed to warn people it's like do not buy these for your kids or mm-hmm. you will be complaining to us and we don't want to hear it yeah well my my it's like something I, I i've been saying this for years it's like you 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 could not even attempt to make blazing saddles today no. Oh no. Oh no. No, no, no. There's so many comedies huh. you couldn't have yeah. because of that. But I mean Blazing Saddles is one of the most most blatant examples. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's yeah, I know. And it's it's you do kind of have to take film. things as what they are and when they are cuz yeah, Bla- I'm not mm-hmm. going to stop watching Blazing Saddles. No. I'm sorry. It's a freaking no. masterpiece. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. It's 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 great, but it's problematic. Oh yeah, yeah. it's and, super problematic. But it's partially problematic on purpose. Yeah. You know, with help oh, yes. from uh, Richard prior so yeah. yeah yeah definitely a lot of intentional this this entire episode is very unintentional my i i i mentioned it at the top of the the episode but i really do have a problem with the casting of gil birmingham as a peruvian man <laughs> um but that's just me i mean it's nice to see oh yes something. that I, was I, uh I, the yeah uh the bodyguard yeah i i i and they literally just call him peruvian man in the casting but um yeah um i love Gil Birmingham, it's nice to see in, in something other than Twilight. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know. Oh, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's uh, Komachi, I believe, which is not South American, but whatever. Yeah. And it still begs the question, what was Empata supposed to be driving? Where was he coming from? Where was this bus coming from? Peru was on the coast of South America. Well, I guess, okay, I will. I was thinking the airport, but like I said, just just pick like, it up at the airport. Exchange student, right? Yeah, why right. wouldn't because you? they have an airport? Oh my god! Sunnydale oh yeah, I forgot everything. that. I didn't know Sunnydale had an airport. Sunnydale so. does um, have like there might not they... be good connections. <laughs> right. Maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe it's not international. Maybe he flew into LA and then no, to actually, take a bus um, to... that's a good point. Uh, the the yeah. airport is international because uh, Giles flies out of it. Uh, there's no excuse okay speaking as a travel professional i don't buy that for one second that (laughs) is that's complete garbage that is complete garbage oh no one thing they don't have one thing they don't have anywhere is night watchman right because they're wandering around cemeteries all the time but giles can just go to the museum and mm-hmm. start repairing the 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 the, uh, the seal, and no one t- <laughs> no one stops him. No one asks him, "What are you doing here?" It's like they don't have night watch anywhere. Is the Sunnydale Museum open twenty four hours a day? Because it seems to be in the evening, and they just like wandered in at like stupid o'clock in the morning to go yeah, do this. I like, assume so they just, like, most of the time when that happens is that Giles is using his ripper skills and just. Breaking walks just breaking or, into places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's hot. Yeah, do we actually see him do that prior to this episode? I mean, you know, or is it just kind of we, like wander in? We still like, don't know anything about the Ripper yet. So they're not going to show him breaking yeah, so, into places. No. Um, yeah, just, that, that was one of the, the logistic things that was like, what is going on here? You know, and there's no guards, no watchmen. Nobody does head counts. And yeah, they just go in and, oh, look, the seal's broken. And apparently nobody in the museum noticed this either. Yeah, it's, it's like, here's the city... A town where like people are constantly disappearing and dying mysteriously, but no one takes any precautions about anything. <laughs> no. Um, just to put things in perspective, I'm pretty sure that Sunnydale is supposed to be a fictionalized version of Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. That huh. sounds okay. about right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did so. you did you have something to say? You said you had something to say. 
someone had something to say, but now she's being very quiet. But I'm sure, dear listeners, you will hear her when the episode. There was a little peepee cat back here a minute ago. <laughs> mm. She is the most talkative cat I've ever encountered. There she is. There she is. Yeah, she's she's our extra host on the on the podcast. She's our mascot. Mike, I have heard time. Skywalker outside the door of my <laughs> room, but I can't get up and let him in because I'm at a microphone right now. So <laughs> right, if I tried to get up, I would be like you know some uh, slapstick comedy where I like get pulled back by my <laughs> headphones. Like, I think it's like in uh, my big fat Greek wedding where that happens. Oh God, what is she? What is she doing? She's like curling her hair or something. Yeah, no, I could see the gag in my head. Uh, speaking yeah. of gags, um, we were talking about jokes earlier. I think probably my favorite one is is them setting up the sort of riffing back and forth about haha, Xander waking up a mummy. Da 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 da. Oh right. <laughs> oh, probably a good um, solid. Joke I liked um, other than uh, Giles icing himself. Um, <laughs> I really liked. Um, uh, I don't always use violence. Do I? What's important is you believe that. Yeah, that's a good yes. one, too. That's a good one. And the one you mentioned earlier about, I'm so stuffy, give me a scone. Yes. yes. Great. That's and great. and as, as a fan of the Big Bang Theory, I'm glad to see Giles is giving hot beverages to people who have been having a bad day. Mm. Yes. <laughs> uh, one... A point I would like to make a, a little nitpick about um, the seal. Um, the Incans didn't use pictographs like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Ah, so maybe yeah. the research wasn't all that great. Okay. No, I mean the research was okay. It's but better I mean, than here's, the pack. Here is the thing: like their research, everything they got for like the Inca mummy stuff, you could find in time magazine in yeah. 1986 mm -hmm. so it's not like they had to like really go out of their way to find anything so i think they are kind of as sloppy as they were with the pack it's just they had an advantage um but yeah it's kind of like this mix of you know south american cultures all just kind of thrown in a blender um of actually how things work um and just random comment because well i mean in... if, if, not even just looking at this episode i noticed this and i'm i'm pretty sensitive about this being mexican-american myself mm -hmm. is that you know what one culture is not the same culture yeah mexican culture is not peruvian culture which is not you know what i mean and like yeah my my thing that drives well, me crazy is, yeah. is oh you're spanish i'm like no 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 that's a whole different thing um but anyway yeah i just through film and television history it's like you it's like the joke on scrubs where carla's always like no i'm dominican yeah <laughs> no i'm dominican yeah. there's even a whole song called but i'm dominican so yeah. yeah it just it's just one of those things that drives me super crazy yeah meanwhile these writers are like it's vague brown cultures vague brown yeah. culture yeah super love that it was a spanish it was some kind of south american accent that doesn't actually exist true so, yeah, yeah. Um, just in random comments, um, because, uh, I don't think we have really talked about fashion that much other than Empata, um, you know, tying her shirt and everything, but I noticed that Buffy's really rocking the 90s thin brows. 
Yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, I mean, I think she's done that before, but I guess it was probably really noticeable because Empata did not have that going on. Hmm. She had some um, solid Instagram brows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, well, she was either she was either being like very retro or like those '90s brows took forever to grow out. Yeah. Not gonna lie. I would have much better eyebrows right now if I had not plucked them into an inch of their life in the 90s. Yeah, I, I always have failed at the brow game in any, like, decade, so I, I never even bothered, but yeah. Yeah. I just noticed a lot of, like, you know, 90s miniskirts, um, which, you know, was the thing then. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, and she had overalls and on I, again. I do. Mm-hmm. I was going to say the overalls, But yeah. Xander calls her white trash, which is also pretty problematic. <laughs> It's a little I harsh, think that's at least. Xander Dunder projecting. Really popular then, like she's just yeah, wearing a pair of overalls. Jeans have been popular since the fifties, so yeah. Right, because he says in the episode, he's like, "And what are you dressed as? White trash?" I'm like, "Xander, no, seriously, that's Xander projecting." Yeah, for sure. Yes. Um, where the fuck did Empata get that goddamn? Oh, uh, that's my same question. I'm like, I was gonna ask that too. Yeah, Joyce, I, I, where did she get any of her, any clothes, of her clothes except it's... for? The, except for the stuff that she's wearing at the bus station, which I think was, we're supposed to believe that she stole from Boy Empata, and like I said, she just managed to do that jaunty little, you know, you know, fancy knot in the t-shirt thing that was so in at the time. So, I, I don't know. Is there like an Inca Mummy Girl store <laughs> that she went to and nobody was looking? Right, and what's that costume supposed to be? Like, what's yeah, she no, supposed to be? Yeah, it's not. Because it's, it's not at all Peruvian. It's sort of like a Ameri- to me it was like a sort of faux American mall girl dress. I, I don't oh, know. Oh, I think it's supposed to be representational of something with the like banding around the waist and all that stuff. But I'm like, it... yeah, it's certainly like, like it's Peruvian. exotic. Pri- it's exotic princess number it five. Is. It is. It yeah. is. Right. I mean, I guess at least Fen is a Viking, and maybe he's from around the Vikingy places. Yeah, but yeah. the horns thing is total nonsense. That first showed up yes. in, in opera. Yeah, um, true. There was, yeah, what, what is the Doctor Who line about a helmet for a space cow? Um, um, there was recently a cracked video uh, all about uh, spelling the myths of Vikings, which oh. uh, I guess I'll probably put in the show notes. But they did cool. mention the whole fact that the whole horned helmet thing only came from uh, opera. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah the ring cycle with the Valkyries and the helmets and the yeah. Yeah, and, and speaking of clothing, this is just a weird thing, and maybe it's because we're looking at it from a modern point. When they opened up the, the trunk and they were, like, looking at boys' clothes, and everybody's like, well, why would a girl, you know, have boys' clothes? And I'm thinking, well, that's really transphobic, isn't it? Because, you know, maybe she's transitioning. Who knows? To be but fair, they like... looked awful big for Empata. True. <laughs> true. That's yeah. true. Really but baggy, but the actual Empata was not a big dude. No. Right. Yeah. The one time no. we see him... He's not, or maybe she's, you know, she's a cross-dresser. Or you don't know. And it just, it like, you know, like I said, at the time it was like, ha, ha, ha. But now it's like, you know what? This is actually a little insensitive. So, mm. yeah. The Buffy was a little too. intrusive, though, with the whole, yeah. let me unpack your clothes for yeah. you. Yeah. They're like, don't touch my stuff, honey. You know, just, <laughs> no. Um, I, as much problem as I have with the whole, you know, dress, um, I thought the translating the salivating American boy thing was cute. That was cute. That's a good line. Um, and I like that uh, it's not just that they actually followed it up with Xander saying thank you in, in salivating boy and Buffy understands him. So she actually means it. Um, I think 
it's like well uh, there is a lot of throwback to season one i feel like we are starting to get more we're getting away from the Xander is in love with Buffy and this is like the only thing of note with their relationship. Yeah, no, they mm-hmm. actually have some nice conversations in this episode where they're just they're just talking and he's opening yeah. up to her mm-hmm. and and I think he knows that he can't always open up to Willow about things with women. Yeah. Because he knows he's going to hurt her feelings cuz he totally knows how she feels. But Buffy, yeah, they they have some nice friendship moments. Though, instead of being a fucking cheerleader for Xander and Willow getting together, Buffy really needs to just tell them. It's like, okay, just talk to each other. Just seriously get this out in the open. And either, you know, either you get together or you don't. And just end this because you're driving me nuts. Oh, no. And it's driving me totally nuts, too. But I will... I will sort of say I will defend some of that just slightly in all the episodes. They're teenagers. They don't have the yeah. emotional maturity to just go, let's have a talk about the thing. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they're both, I mean, Willow and Xander especially are both like highly neurotic in different ways. So, and, and very insecure. So they're not the kind of people that they're, you know, neither one of them is Oz who's actually going to say or do whatever he needs to. They're, they're always dealing with their own like fucked up emotions yeah. and fucked up head trips so yeah, yeah. well i mean it's, it's, it's just I, in in watching this again what willow does to, like as much problem as i have with sander and i certainly do i have a problem with the way Will, willow handles things because willow is so absolutely passive and just waiting for sander to do something uh and like we've we've already said before and then once we get to innocence Willow tries to use poor, wonderful Oz to make herself to get back at Xander, and of course, Oz just call her out on it. But yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe it's just because I'm in my 30s now, and I'm just like stupid teenagers to stop being teenagers. <laughs> yeah, whereas yeah. I think I can, like I said, I can really relate because I was a lot like Willow in a lot of ways back then, which is not a good thing, but I can understand it. And that's why I said she breaks my heart because I'm just like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. You know, you're better yeah, than Yeah, well, this, I was but... probably a lot like Willow, and that's probably why I can't stand it now. <laughs> True. I mean, I, I, you know, at the end of this episode, Xander does make he said this is the first time he makes that take my life instead of he loves Willow. And I've said yeah. this before. He he honestly does love her and feels like that that's that's uh his best friend. So I do appreciate that. And Xander does, yeah. By the end of the episode, I'm like, Alright, you're super problematic, but you're honestly kind of an okay dude. Yeah. 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 Uh really yeah. Um like I've said, um, Empata is, I feel, one of the most sympathetic mm-hmm. villains that we've gotten on this show. Uh, yeah. Because it is, she does not want to hurt anybody. Uh, she just wants to live, and she wants to be, and Buffy, you can tell, is, sympathizes with her so much. Sure, be, yeah. And which is one of the reasons why I love the headcanon of Empata as a slayer or potential. Uh, uh, just to drive the parallels between them home. I but, like that you know, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Xander, I think, seriously, if there were not bodies involved, he he would have 
been very happy with Empata. So I think yeah, you're and right. I can see people like also retconning this now, like in fan fiction, if you wanted to, to ship them because and kind of turn it into without meaning to invoke Twilight, but that whole you know I'm a monster. If she only fed on you know bad people or you know animals, or they she, they found a way of working around the killing of living things to keep herself going. I think it would be perfectly fine. Yeah. You well, know, everybody would be just like groovy with that. Honestly, this kind of thing could never happen in, like, later seasons of Buffy because you probably could get, like, Willow to, like, do a spell to, like, be like, here, you don't need to take life energy anymore. (laughs) True. Yes, her all-purpose science and magic and hacking would figure it out. Yeah. Uh, So I guess we're to final thoughts on the episode, so... Mm -hmm. Um, Does anybody have... Yay, Oz problematic cultural appropriation meh hmm. I, you know we, we've talked about a lot about Xander one thing we haven't brought up is Xander's actually pretty heroic in this episode oh yeah, yeah. no I yeah. think he's great. I mean yeah. like what the ending is when great the, when the, the protector of the seal first shows up <clears throat> he jumps in oh yeah I did have a note for that where um, it's, like, it, so, it's kind of goofy but it's, it's it's a funny moment but it's also mm-hmm. like super brave yeah it's it's super brave and of course there's the point at the end where he's going to sacrifice himself for Willow. Where he's like, no, no, you no, you don't have that choice. If you're going to kill someone, you're, you're going to kill me. Yeah. And it's, you know, Xander doesn't get a lot of heroic moments, usually. And this, yeah, he really gets some of that. And, and of course, one nitpick. How, how does the mummy girl know Empata's name? She heard Buffy uh, talking about it because they were specifically talking about um, picking up Empata at the bus station right over uh, the mummy. Oh, okay. Yeah, they actually showed a shot of uh, the mummy while Buffy was talking. Ah, okay. Because, yeah, because she calls to him and I was like... No, an even better question is how did Buffy know that uh, the mummy got... Uh, the life energy from kissing. Yeah. Because... Good question. Yeah. Yeah, I did. She's, she's like, we gotta find Xander before they get all smoochy. Yeah. And it's like, you, nothing has indicated that that's... Do you right. think that's what she's saying? Or like, oh god, let's just save Xander because I know he wants... I don't know. Yeah, it's inconsistent. Yeah, it is. And also, it's like, why, why is it kissing anyway? I mean, what... And it's not really kissing, it's more like sucking. I think it was because <laughs> it's a dementia. Well, why is it lip yeah. contact? I mean, why did why I is think it, it was because it is a um, because of, it's, it's a trope. It's a romantic storyline with Xander, and you've got to have that moment where she almost uh, uh, sucks. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it like that. I almost it said is very dementia. We'll uh, but yeah, she she almost drains yeah. Xander's life energy during their kiss. So I mm-hmm. think that's the whole reason for it. Oh, so okay, so there's no, yeah, there's no in universe reason. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's um, a, there, there, this is this is one of the, I think this is probably one of the episodes where, like, they put the least thought into how everything works. Yeah, it's just like. Yeah, this is an episode. There's a lot of stuff that That's makes right. just no sense. 
yeah, this is one of those stories where, I mean, I want to like it. I think there's good characterization. It's a good general idea, but the details and the general... I said I was watching it too much and saying, what the hell, this makes no sense. But I wanted it to be better because there is some really great... Mm-hmm. There are great character moments. What's, there's a lot of development that's going on. It just could have been better. What's the line from Clueless? It's a total Monet. Yeah, from oh, far right. away. It looks, it looks pretty from far away, but up close, it's a, it's a big mess. Yeah. yeah. I wow, okay. I knew that really too quickly. <laughs> oh please, clueless voting is always appropriate. No, I mean, that's, that's I, I'm really glad you're able to do that because I think we have to use that to judge mm-hmm. some of these episodes. Yeah, because I mean, this yeah. episode is fine if you just like watching it for fun, but when you're actually like examining close, it's like no, this is falling apart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, we've come across that. I don't. I've lost track of how many times. A couple of times now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's, a Monet, yeah. it is a Monet episode with terrible cultural appropriation, and Oz. Yeah, and Oz. And yes. Oz. Yeah. Well, that's Oz is the best thing about it because Oz is always the best. Yeah, thing Oz is general. Well, if it wasn't for Oz's introduction in this episode, it might be one that I skip over. Oh, it, I it's also one that I skip. Yeah. Well, I tend to skip over Xander episodes, and yes. I'm sorry about that. Uh, but <laughs> it introduces Oz, so. I do watch it, and I, I don't think it's that. I, I, it's just not one that you can really examine that closely. It passes the Bechtel test because Buffy and Empata have a conversation, and it's better than Teacher's Pet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm never giving that up. And I don't think you should. That has to be our metric for the yes. entire series. And of course, talking speaking of Clueless, I just want to point out. Danny Strong was on the Clueless TV series. Oh, oh was he? Yep. We love I didn't know that. I never he watched it. He was in it, nine so. episodes of it. Oh, cool. very cool. Mm-hmm. Good for you, Danny very Strong. Nice. He got around a lot during the 90s he and did. 2000s. Yeah, he was like that guy. He was in many things. Mm-hmm. And, and now, and now he's like course. uber great producer, winning all kinds of awards. So I, I love that Danny and, Strong has gone on to have such a great career. Yeah. And he's done so many great, like, HBO scripts and, you know, it, it, all political, too. Well, so I, I believe he was actually nominated for an Oscar. Um, or was he? Yeah. Or... Um, did he work on Selma? I want to say. Was it... Uh, he won a oh, couple I Emmys. I and then the he was... It. He wrote the last two Hunger Games films. He did write the last oh, two Hunger know. Games movies. Um which weren't that great, but you know, whatever. I might be in. I might be entirely wrong. Um, Let me see if I'm, I'm on IMDb right now. Let's I'm see. I'm not seeing an Oscar. I'm seeing. Yes, he got a couple uh, of I, Emmys. I thought he had been a bunch of primetime Emmys: Georgia Film Critics Association, Image Awards. Um, oh, Empire, The Butler. Yeah, I, I confused The Butler with um, Selma. Please forgive me. Um, Game Change and Recount were both HBO. Okay. Uh, PGA Awards for Game Change yeah. and Writers Guild Awards for Game Change and Recount. Okay, I thought he I thought he had been nominated. Um, he for has an Oscar a Golden Globe. Butler, but uh, the Butler was Globe. nominated for other stuff. Yeah, so. he had a Golden Globe yeah. for Game Change, which is really really good. Yeah, it's really really good. Um, uh, HBO thing. So anyway, Danny Strong. Uh, <laughs> right. We we will talk about we him much him. more. Um, because he's awesome and he is long running. I actually do have notes on um, uh, Devin will appear in eight episodes uh, uh, and uh, what's his name? Jonathan! Uh, uh, Jonathan Levinson because I don't 
now if we ever hear his last name on the show oh wait no of course we did we hear it in superstar um he appears in 28 episodes and then oz appears in 40 so oh wow oh wow so jonathan is i should say oz is around more than oz no jonathan appears in 28 and oz appears in 40 so oh okay sorry i misheard that i thought you said 20 so i was confused yeah no um i'm actually uh with oz he's 40 episodes of buffy and one episode of angel so he's 41 appearances total yeah um i feel like overall we have a very there's a consensus in this episode there's no real dividing opinions it's it's (laughs) just kind of it's an episode it's there it exists it has has its moments but it does it's 22 somewhere um, yeah, I think the only dissent here is that Dave is not swooning over Oz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I mean, oh, he loves Oz. He, is, he needs to keep in court. <laughs> and I mean, and that's honestly, okay, David. Yeah. With this episode, I don't think it's going to end up getting in my bottom five this year. Uh, because it's not a great episode, but I know that there's worse coming up. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> and speaking of worse coming up, next oh, week. Oh, dear. Yes. Next week we will be reviewing Reptile Boy. But 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 if you have the DVDs, there is commentary. Ooh. Okay. I believe I that means I have to watch it three times. Then I believe I mentioned this before. That is the first episode in the DVDs to get a commentary. Yeah. I have no idea why. I I don't know who thought of that. On the season two DVDs, there's commentary for Welcome to the Hellmouth and Hardest. Oh, is there? Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I, yeah. Maybe I skipped over that somehow. Okay. But uh, yeah, for season two, yep, it's Reptile Boy, and then I think it's once. What's my line? One and two, and uh, Innocence. I gotta say, so it's still honestly, not a lot of commentary. I've never cared much for the Buffy commentaries. I think it was very early on in the release of DVDs, and people kind of weren't really sure what to do on commentaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, ha- I haven't listened to them in I don't know how long, so I will probably listen to them when I probably get will there, too, yeah. and then I will go, wow, this is terrible. Yeah. And, yeah, so. Until next time, grr, arg. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. We'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the podcast and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared, liked, and subscribed on social media. So we actually have a comment this week, and this is from our YouTube. Uh, It was from a user Cassie Grace. Okay, I just want to say how much I'm loving these podcasts, and I have been listening to them for the past few months and love them. Thank you so much for doing these. It really makes me think about Buffy in a different way, and as is... I am watching the episodes as you guys talk about them and listening to everyone's views on each episode. I look forward to every Wednesday when they are up because I'm in Australia. Again, thank you so much. Well, Cassie, thank you so much for your message. It really means a lot to know that people are listening to the podcast, especially from so far away. Uh, Sorry, we haven't been so good about getting things up for every Wednesday, but we're really, really trying to get better about that. Uh, But yeah, I mean, like the main focus of this podcast is to look back at Buffy and we try with the number of hosts we have to have as many different viewpoints as we can get just so 
that it's not just the same thing being said over and over again. And thank you so, so much for writing. And please, we'd like to hear more from you as we go through the show. And we'd like to hear more from everybody. So if you have uh, questions or comments, we will read them on the show. You can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com, on YouTube at Return to the Hellmouth, on Tumblr and Facebook at Return to the Hellmouth, on Twitter at Hellmouth Return, or on email at returntothehellmouth at gmail.com. Also be sure to rate our show at iTunes and Stitchers. You can also check out uh, my YouTube channel. See you on Tuesday for Reptile Boy. Grr. Arg.